On this week's episode 12, I'm talking with the sandwich queen herself, Melissa McMillan. To get a sense of Melissa's no shortcuts attitude, just sink your teeth into her signature Montreal style pastrami sandwich, which is a true labor of love. In 2013, she opened Sandwich in Ashland, Oregon, her first brick and mortar restaurant. Three years later, her pastrami zombie food truck launched in Portland to rave reviews, followed by the opening of Sandwich Portland. Each locally sourced ingredient tells a different part of Melissa's story. She traces her obsession with homemade meats back to her childhood in Texas. It's why she roasts, smokes, and cures it all in-house. Everything she puts between two slices of bread comes from her love of Chicago delis, something she missed when she left the Windy City. With a religious fervor for baseball, she borrows her motto from her favorite team, the Chicago Cubs. Do simple better. That ethos has earned her ink in national publications such as the New York Times and Sunset Magazine and a slew of national television appearances. Hey, Melissa, how's it going? Hi, Judyanna. It's going good. Thanks for having me on. I feel like it's been such a long time since I've talked to you. We used to talk like all the time and then this pandemic hit and then, you know, you've been busy. <laughs> I take it. I think, I think everybody has that feeling. I used to see you. I used to talk to you. Um, I think we're just getting back into the swing of things, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm starting to see people again. And now you can actually recognize people when you see them because they're not half their faces and half covered, right? <laughs> yeah, and I've even hugged a few people. <laughs> yeah, well, as you should, as you should. Well, I'm excited to have you on because, you know, you are so passionate about what you do and have always been and so passionate about other things, even you know, beyond sandwiches, for sure. But let's tell everybody how we met because we met you know, we met in Ashland, Oregon, and, you know, I, I, we'll get back to, we'll talk about how you actually landed in Ashland, but um, do you remember the first time we met? We met, uh, you were doing something for Travel Oregon, and we met at Sandwich in Ashland, and I, you listened to my story, I captivated you, and we became friends after that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was on like a press tour with uh, Travel Oregon. Part of what I did was we would go around the state and we would, you know, eat and experience the things that we felt like people would want to know about as they're traveling around the state. And when in Ashland, you must go to Sandwich. Like that's the place to go, right? So we came and we ate a bunch of sandwiches and you were just so fun. And I was thinking when I met you, why are you not on TV? You know, <laughs> that was my, that was my impression. Like you were so... Um, so like charismatic and flamboyant and, you know, but at the same time, like produced a really good sandwich. Uh, I, that's, that was my feeling. And then you were, um, you reached out again when you were starting your food truck, right? Yeah. You were the one who busted me into Portland appropriately. <laughs> I had this wild idea to do a backyard barbecue. Right. And, uh, I called you up and I said, Hey, Juliana, I want to do a backyard barbecue and I want the people of Portland to help me decide which rye bread I should use on the oh-so-famous pastrami sandwich. Mm -hmm. And you helped organize this party that, in my opinion, uh, changed my career. <laughs> well, that was super fun because, you know, you know, I attend a lot of media events and a lot of media previews, but it was kind of brilliant on your part to just host it like a backyard barbecue, right? So, or just this kind of like backyard party, right? So it was at somebody's house, like it was your friend's house. And we invited like, you know, the who's who of Portland food, right? To come and help you decide. And so I think they really felt invested because they got to taste your sandwiches before like anybody else in Portland, right? And then they got to help you choose the bread, which was so integral to your sandwich. And so by the time your truck launched, like they had like, you know, and it started getting buzzed, like almost immediately, like they were like, yeah, been there, you know, tasted that sandwich is good, you know, and uh, that was, and that was a really fun thing to be a part of. Yeah. You, uh, Got some very awesome food people there. Uh, Portland Monthly Eater, uh, Carrie Young, and all of them have been, well, minus Eater. I don't know what I did with them, but 
Orland Monthly and Carrie Young have uh, since strongly supported me and really kept the ball rolling um, to eventually, I mean, Judy Ann, shit, you got me on TV. Well, <laughs> so, you know, for folks out there, I was Melissa's publicist for a while. So, it's, you know, it wasn't I was doing it because, you know, you were a paying me to do this. But um, but I, I only work with people who I really believe in. And I was such a fan of your sandwiches. And I and really, it's not just the food itself, but the commitment that you had towards it, the love that you put into your pastrami, like how how different we'll talk about how what what you what actually goes into it. But like, I remember you were telling me how you know, like a tuna sandwich, right? You know, people get tuna sandwiches everywhere. But like you're poaching your own tuna. Like nobody. Yeah, I mean, everything is really from scratch. And uh, yes, before I touch on the food, I will say that. Um, although Judy Ann was my publicist, she was, I was new in business and new in town and she worked extra hard to help me out. But yeah, the tuna sandwich, for example, we make a special poach. We get Oregon coast albacore. We fillet it, we poach it, we crumble it. There is zero shortcuts taken with these sandwiches. And the tuna is, now one of my best-selling sandwiches. Right. Yeah, it has a loyal following. And I think part of it is people can taste the uh, the craft put into it, the effort, you know, because, you know, they were ordered, maybe the first time that they had this tuna sandwich was at a food truck. And one thing, one of the things that I love about Portland is I tell people who aren't familiar when they come, I say, you know, some of the best food you're going to eat in town is from a food truck. And don't dismiss that just because it's in a small little space that any less care or effort was made into the quality of the food. You know, they're able to because they're not paying rent and they don't have a big staff and stuff like that. It's usually the person's passion. It is who's making that food. It's not like a big team of people. It's like that person, that cart, you know, they're doing what they love. Very limited menu. Do a lot in those little carts. And if you have it set up right and have all the tools on there, you can really some of the you're right. Some of the most gourmet food. Right. You can find. I mean, Look at Nam. Yeah, exactly. She started in a food truck. Yeah, for, for sure. It's, I, and from there, like, you had your food truck, pastrami zombie. You had your signature, you know, pastrami sandwich. And then you started, then you opened up a brick and mortar in Portland, right? Like, shortly thereafter. Was it, like, a year later? Uh, two years later. So, Sandwich and Ashton was doing so good, and I needed to get out of town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, I'm a wild woman. I needed to go to the big city. And I say that as a joke because I'm from Chicago. But anyway, so I went to the city and spent two years in the truck, was essentially doing awesome and killing it. And so I decided to open another brick and mortar. And there we could put 12 sandwiches on the menu. Definitely do more without my smoker. Being originally from Texas, being able to smoke meat and having the space to have a little bit more creative freedom really made it so we could take off. Right. Yeah. It was, it's, you know, and since then you've been on TV, you've been on, I went to, you know, we, we, you hosted a, um, like a pastrami workshop because so many people were interested in how to, how to make it. Right? And then I think then their eyes really kind of lit, opened up to like how much work it is because making good pastrami is not an easy task, right? Or were you, that was a, that was, well, that was a brisket class. That but, was a brisket class, but that's essentially half the steps in making the pastrami. So if it's that much work to make one Texas brisket, to make mm-hmm. pastrami brisket every week is quite a task. Right. Uh, and if you're on the East Coast, you're going to do a wet brine, and that's going to it's going to sit in the brine for about ten days. Uh, the pastrami I make over here is a saturation method with a dry brine, and so start to finish, I'm looking at seven days worth of work. I put more smoke on the pastrami, so that takes more time as well. Mm-hmm. And you call your sandwich a Montreal style pastrami sandwich. What makes it? Um- Montreal, I know this, but <laughs> like if yeah, for, for the listeners out there, what makes it uh, Montreal style is it's going to be smokier and fattier than a New York style. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
a lot of a lot of cases they're they're just going to use the lean piece on the um, brisket, whereas um, in Montreal they use the whole brisket, and then we mix the lean and the fatty together. Unless you want a straight lean or you want a straight fatty, then sure we'll do that too. But it's smokier and fattier are what the big differences are. Right. Yeah. Well, it's delicious. And it's still, is it still your most popular sandwich or is there a new? Uh, It is, but I have one slowly, or I would say actually quite fast, speeding up straight behind it. And get this. Are you ready? Yeah. Pork strami. I saw that on the website. I was going to ask you about that. That is new because you're all beef because you know your t-shirts, beef, you know, all that. And then I was like, in your mouth. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and our shirts say hot beef. So what we decided to do is take, uh, I screwed up the pastrami brine one time and I used, uh, I forget, it's one of the two, but I used kosher salt instead of sea salt. Uh-huh. And it was too salty for the which one's the saltier one? Oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Well, sea salt is more salty than kosher. Yes, yeah, so I accidentally used sea salt. Uh-huh. And the pastrami brines for four days, and I said, Oh boy, this is gonna be too salty. This is a problem. But I made a big batch and I'm like, this is like right in the middle of the pandemic and shit just costs so much money and you can't get everything in that you need. And right. literally nothing's working the way the machine has worked in the eight years that I've owned my businesses. And so I said, fuck it. We're going to make something else. So <laughs> I got pork loin in and I brined it in that brine. I brined it for less days. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I brined it for like a day and a half, two days Rinse it, smoke it, thin slice it, sear it on the flat top. It is heavenly. Oh, yeah, it sounds great. It comes with uh, jalapenos and zombie sauce, which zombie sauce is my golden goose from Guy's Grocery Games uh, Uh that I've been riding out. And it's fresh lime and jalapeno and mayo and garlic. And so it's like a cabbage arugula zombie slaw with the grilled jalapenos and the seared pork loin, pork strami. And it's uh-huh. like this sweet, but salty. It's kind of like bacon, but it's not bacon at all. And it's just <laughs> so delicious. And it's steadily becoming one of our, I mean, grand slammers. So that's pretty, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm going to have to try that. I know you have all the, you do these fun kind of sandwiches and you often name them after people, which is really fun. Like you have sandwiches named after your brothers. You have four brothers, right? I do have four brothers. I have uh, a, a Joey is on the, uh, the menu in Ashland. The Timbo is named after my brother, Timmy. And that's the famous Chicago cheesesteak. Mm-hmm. I used to go to in Chicago called the Hoagie Hut. And it's my spin on the, well, I should say Timmy's spin on the hoagie hut. Uh, but I also have my nieces on the menu, Ashlyn and Tegan. I have my dogs on the menu. Um, yeah, I just have a lot of fun with it. And, like, we named a special after Queen Latifah, and we called it the Queen Labifa. And oh, yeah. <laughs> that made it all the way to the Kelly Clarkson show. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that was wild. Kelly Clark. I'm still trying to come up with a really good special. I think I'm going to have a Kelly Clarkson week. Right. Uh, but we haven't uh, solidified it yet. We really need some good specials because she's been asking for a special to be named after her. Yeah. She found it to be unfair that just Queen Latifah got one. But, yeah, we, <laughs> we have so much fun with it. And... Uh, current events, um, things that we think are funny, uh, sports, anything Cubs related. I'm really pushing for Anthony Rizzo to come eat a sandwich. Still hasn't happened yet. I'm not sure how I'm missing the boat. Right. Yeah. I always think it's really funny when there's anything to do with the Cubs, how uh, the local press reaches out to you. Like it's totally unfood related, but they'll like they need some Cubs commentary. <laughs> I hear I'll hear you on the radio. <laughs> yeah, the uh, 
Oregon Public Broadcast, when the Cubs won the World Series, they coined me the uh, biggest Cubs fan in the state of Oregon. Um, I think that I think they're probably right. I mean, for those of you who have not seen, like, I've seen your outfit, right, or your outfits, but I've you've got the the pants, right? <laughs> yeah, the Bill Murray Argyle golf Cubs pants. <laughs> yes, I love that. And you you wear it with style for sure. Um, well, thank you. I I, I really. Uh, proud of the Cubs and loyal and they're part of my inspiration. And I just spent you, how many, how many years were you in Chicago? I was in Chicago for about 18 years. That's a long time. Yeah. Um, I just went back to Wrigley and um, I think my wife was blown away about how excited we've been married for over a year and a half now. And I get excited about a lot of stuff, but being in Wrigley Field really does something <laughs> to me. And I think that she thought I was like a little kid again back in the back in the stadium. Right. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So uh, were you there for a game or you were just touring? Uh, I, went for, uh, I went to see the Cubs and the Cardinals play uh-huh. on Saturday. And oh. it was so much fun. Megan and I went back on Sunday and went to another game. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a Chicago dog while you were there? <laughs> uh, I ate a few Chicago dogs. I also ate a couple of chili cheese dogs. Uh-huh. Drank an old style. Megan thought it was disgusting. I said you have to drink an old one old style while you're in Wrigley Field. Um, yeah, I went to town on the Chicago food. There is no doubt about that. What, what's an old style? I feel like I should know this. An old style is like a really shitty light beer that's very popular in Chicago. It's <laughs> what I would say, like the PBR or the Rainier of Portland. Uh, old style is that of Chicago. Yeah. The opposite of all the craft uh, IPAs of Portland, the blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, sometimes you just got to, like, you're eating a pizza pizza, you got to just have a light beer. Right. I, I, I understand that. It's kind of like, it's like water, but not water. You know, you just, it's to th- quench your thirst, really. <laughs> yeah. That joke is, is that the light beer is my water intake sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Well, I've always been really puzzled about the Chicago dog. I always get one whenever I'm in Chicago, but like that, um, I mean, it's, you know, all beef hot dog, right? Is this poppy seed bun. Poppy um, seed bun, celery salt. salt. Celery salt, bright green uh, relish. Bright green yeah, relish. Tomatoes. Uh-huh. Tomatoes, which has always struck me as kind of odd, but, you know, that's the tradition. I appreciate tradition. There's chopped onions, yellow mustard, dill pickles. Peppers. They say it's the garden of, it's like the Putinesca of hot dogs, you know? It's like a garden. You're, it's like a, a salad on top of a hot dog. Yeah. It, they take everything from the garden and they throw it on a hot dog. And yeah. it's delicious. And you have to have the celery salt. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is good and I always get it, but it always strikes me as kind of funny. Like who would have thought to put all of this stuff on this hot dog, you know, and yet no mustard and no, I mean, yet no ketchup, right? No, yeah. I was going to say no ketchup lady. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We talked about that on a different episode, how, you know, I asked people if they were like uh, ketchup on hot dog kind of people. And there's a lot of people who are like no ketchup on anything practically (laughs) except French fries. And then did you have any pizza when you were there? I definitely had Lou Milnati's twice while I was there. I get the sausage deep dish. It's like a disc of sausage on there within the uh, whole crushed tomatoes, the mozzarella. It's. Is that the place you would recommend? Because I, every time I'm there, I, I feel the need to order, but then I start reading the reviews and people either they love something or they hate it. They're so passionate, but I can never, I never feel like I have an objective, you know, review of one place or the other. So then I'm like, I don't want to know where to order from. So when I was a kid, I used to eat at this place called the silo and that is in a suburb of Chicago. They had the best deep dish and the best thin crust. And you'd go there and you'd see the bulls there and the bears there. I mean, it was it, it looked like a silo. When right. I downtown, though, I would go to Lou's or some people are Lou's, some people are Gino's. And it, you're right, it's so opinionated. 
And then right. if you want like a gourmet fancy one, you go to Pequot's. And in my opinion, they're all good. I always order Lou's because it's like a family tradition. Like, fuck it, we're doing Lou's. <laughs> right, right. So. Yeah. It's, I always feel like you either you need to um, find a team and then stick with it. Yeah, yeah you can't. Like, I couldn't uh, like backpedal on lose now if I wanted to. Right. <laughs> well, did you see Portland was recently, you know, P- Portland, people say Portland is one of the best pizza cities in the country. And it just, and another article just came out claiming that Portland is the biggest, best pizza city in the country again. So it just, it's I, I, uh, I think that the pizza in Portland is awesome, and I would agree that uh, it's up there. But I like, look, I ate slices of pie in New York. Uh, go to Scar's Pizza. Like, you're not gonna have anything like that, right? Um, so I think every city has its gems, um, but I definitely think Portland has quite a variety. I mean. You could go Red Sauce. You could go Lovely 50-50s. You could go Pizza Shoals. You could go Pop Pizza. Like, there is... We have variety. A lot of good, different pizza here. Dove Vive, like, I love that place. I just ate it last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I think Portland does really well is they have lots of different styles because they don't have this, like, history or tradition for eight, one particular style. So they do it all. And then they do it really well because they take on that kind of craftsman aesthetic, you know, where they really, like, dedicate themselves to whatever pizza style they're, they're doing to try to make it the best, you know, so. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, and then, you know, then you grew up in Texas. That's probably where you got all your your uh, smoking knowledge, right? Did you grow up with a family of, that cooked a lot? So we grew up in Houston, but we had a ranch about 45 miles west of Houston. And out there we had a smoker. Mm-hmm. And my dad, he barbecued and smoked meat uh, a lot. I mean, so much so that he burned the deck down once in Chicago. <laughs> uh, so that's – and. My wife jokes that uh, I'm the chef that only knows how to barbecue. Like she thinks at home, like I probably cook 90% of my meals for the family on the barbecue <laughs> or in the smoker. And I cook a lot of meals for the family. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's like breakfast. Okay. Lunch. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I just, I love it. I think it's, the most primitive form of cooking, but it takes actually some of the most restraint. Right. Um, it's where I've learned how to really respect food and, and yeah. respect the craft. And honestly, I've gotten a lot of street credit and a lot of respect for having so much respect for it that um, my other chef friends are, um, I'm always, if I want to learn something or, uh, be taught something new or be a part of something, I'm always welcomed with open arms because they all know I'm just a hard worker and that I respect the craft. So mm-hmm. I've I've been really lucky in Portland uh, and I owe a lot of it to knowing how to barbecue. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've taught a lot of chefs, you know, some things that they probably didn't know, you know, like they you go in and I know that you hate, you know, it's like, I always feel like the chefs are eating your sandwiches on their days off. Oh my gosh. Everybody who's a chef who's a somebody is always eating a sandwich. I just texted Kathy Wims this morning and I said, I saw you order for 12 o'clock today. I said, I won't be there because I'm going to be with Judy Ann doing a podcast, but thank you so much for ordering. And she said, those Instagram posts, they get me, but like, yes, like every, all the chefs at Shefferton's are always in there and it's such a humbling and uh, some of the best compliments I could ever get just by them showing up and ordering food for their staff. Right. And, you know, and the thing about it is because like they recognize that you are a peer, you know, like you're like them, like you want to learn, you want to get better all the time. And then you eat at nice restaurants too. I mean, it was kind of tough during the pandemic because a lot of places were oh, closed. Was it? My wife and I single-handedly kept Portland alive. 
Yeah. But like you're always out and eating and, you know, eating at nice places and really like appreciating the food. So it's not like you're just a sandwich chef. Like you, you take what you learn and apply it to obviously your business, but you know, you, I know you love like Japanese food and, you know, like all Korean food and Italian food. food. I love Korean food. You know, my favorite Korean restaurant. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, they love you. I see you you know, went on family vacations with the whole <laughs> yeah, Peter from Hot Oak. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Frank the Tank rolling around on my uh, suitcase. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Peter was on the show a while ago and, you know, he was he was saying that the pandemic was really hard for him because, you know, like they that style of restaurant that they had where it's like they're it's in their home, you know, the it's they just had to close that. And but how has it been for you during I mean, everyone's experiences are so different. Yeah, everyone's experiences are different. And uh, that was hard for Peter because it was in his home. Uh, what I liked about what he did was he ended up pivoting and adjusting. And we had some brilliant brunches and some amazing dinners picking up from uh, him when he got back in the swing. Now, for us in Sandwich, it was uh, interesting. The challenges that I had, I think, were a lot different than – because you're right. I mostly eat fancy food, so all my friends all own fancy restaurants, and I own uh, what we – I think you and I would both consider a um, blue-collar, roll-your-sleeves-up gourmet restaurant. So I cross over to the – I'm not doing anything different than the fine dining restaurants, but uh, it is so different at the same time. The food's treated the same way, but I was already doing takeout. And so for me, it was how the rules were changing every day. Uh, Could people come in? Could people not come in? How was I going to get beef? Beef brisket went to $6 a pound. If you know anything about food costs, that means I should be charging $26 for a pastrami sandwich. How are people going to come and eat a pastrami sandwich that costs that much? And I never once changed the portion size. The portion size has been the same since 2013 when I opened up sandwich. Five ounces of beef on that baby. And so for me, it was so hard. And then my wife is a nurse. I have two kids and we're in Oregon and there's no school. So, and then my dad died. So I had this weighing responsibility of keeping people employed and how to actually make the machine work. Where is the food coming from? How am I going to get it? How much is it going to cost? It was hands down the hardest year of my career And I thought nothing could beat the first year I opened my restaurant. Mm -hmm. This didn't even come close. And to make matters worse, my dad passed away in the middle of it. And when Corona started, I remember talking to him on the phone and uh, like, I'm pretty tough lady, but I was crying. I was like, dad, what do I do? And he was like, you have a responsibility to put food on the table for your family and keep people employed. So you better figure out how to do that. And so he says that, and then two months later, he's gone. So, I mean, I put a lot of grief into honoring his his demand of me uh, staying successful. and right, Keeping it going, yeah. Yeah, and doing my job as a... I, I have a, you really, you, you know, you used to be really lucky to be a small business owner and I still feel that way, but um, it's also, it's hard sometimes. And what's been really good about the pandemic is like the chefs, like sticking together and talking to each other about their problems. Like mm-hmm. nobody used to really go around telling people about their problems. They're like, yep, we're doing good. And now it's like, call my buddy. I'm like, chef, how do I get some more business? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And they're calling me and saying, hey, does this work? How do you do this? Can I borrow an employee? Like, it was the wild, wild west for a little while. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it was um, it was not easy, but you know, you survived, and I feel like you're thriving now because every time we go by, I, I see your places are full. <laughs> There's always people eating there, and you know, it was. I'm uh, missing you outside chopping wood. I don't see that so much. Any, I see. Other I'm still doing it. I did hear that I missed. Uh, I missed you last time you were there, and my chef. When I told her I was meeting with you today, she said, oh, boy, she's so nice. We screwed up her kid's order three times, and she was still so nice. <laughs> I was like, well, it gets a lot of modifications, so it's okay that we screwed it up. So I was left correct. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, normally you don't do a lot of modifications because, you know, people you you create these sandwiches the way that they should be eaten, and I fully appreciate that. But you you will make modifi- modifications for kids. Which yeah, kids will do whatever they want. Yeah, kids is like whatever they want on their sandwich. And so, yeah, my kids love your sandwiches, but, you know, they're kind of, you know, they're kids. And so they want a particular way, which is, you know, basically they want the the meat, the bread, the lettuce and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. So in all actuality, they want all the good stuff. So it's kind of a compliment. Yeah, they love it. I mean, that's what they, they get. They get and they like to sit outside and, you know, and soak up the atmosphere. They feel comfortable there because. I think it was when we when they first went, they actually met you. So um, they always think of it as Melissa's place. You know, it's Aww. like a real place. Like it's like, I think you live there. You know? Yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I guess she's probably at the grocery store right now, but she's not here today. But, you know, that, that day was like, oh, could we go to Melissa's place is what they, you know. So. Yeah, well, they're the sweetest. It's uh, fun watching them grow up. Yeah. Well, it's been fun watching your business grow for sure. And so I think you're, have you, I talked, I know that you've always had these ambitions to really grow, you know, sandwich um, beyond. Are you still thinking about that now, now that we're kind of exiting the pandemic? Well, what I found was through uh, the pandemic was, is that sandwich is a forever place. Um, I found that People want to go to sandwich when they're happy, when they're sad, when they need comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we provide like a reliability and something that people can depend on. And the last year and a half has been the best year of my career as far as sales go, as far as like how much money I've made. Not the same story because it turns out it's really expensive to run a restaurant in a pandemic. But what we found is that we have a scalable product like that we can swing for the fences for. So now we're in the works with, uh, I hired my, my mentor, Steven Sendar to actually be my management team to fine tune, really set up the systems and make the book. If X happens then do Y, if problem happens, call this person and really set it up to a scalable model where we hope to have, you know, a lot of these. We want to just start in Oregon right now. So I foresee an expansion happening, uh, a rather large one happening in about a year's time. I think mm-hmm. there's still work to be done. I don't think that, um, unfortunately, I don't think America is going to recover quite as fast as maybe some people thought. So the reliability of manufacturers and production, I think we're still about six months out to seeing that be stable. And once that is, we're going to have a really good handle on how it's going to run from here on out. And, and I think there is not very many restaurants, Judy Ann, that can say they increase their gross by... 20 percent in 2020 and i can easily say that so i'm excited yeah i'm excited for you i know that um you have always been quite ambitious you know and even when you were saying yeah i want to have enough sandwiches so that i can just uh coach baseball all the time you know that's right that's my dream job you remember my dream job is definitely to be a volunteer baseball coach right and i know that you always give so much to the community i I think that anytime there was ever been like a disaster or some sort of like, you know, situation locally, you've always, um, you know, made sandwiches, donated food, cook for firemen, that kind of thing. And 
remember when we had the rogue fires, um, these are the the wildfires that uh, really devastated Southern Oregon. You helped um, spearhead this organization, this nonprofit. And what was it called? The Rogue Food U- Unites? Rogue yeah, Food Rogue Unites. Food Unites. So I started um, right away after it happened uh, with four other people in Southern Oregon uh, saying that we needed a call to action. And um, I was doing this program up in Portland through Stone Soup where we were cooking meals every day for the unhoused um, affected by COVID. And still, I'm still making those meals at least two to three times a week up here in Portland. So immediately I, I jumped on it and uh, with Craig over there at Stone Soup and I said, hey, we need your advice. We need help down here. Uh, 400 plus homes have been destroyed uh, and we need to feed people. And I called up uh, Naomi and Naomi hooked me up with World Central Kitchen and Sandwich started cooking with World Central Kitchen immediately. And then it turned into this whole thing called Rogue Food Unites that uh, Adam Danforth and Amber Ferguson and Jamie North ended up taking over. And those three have brought, oh gosh, over a million dollars into the hands of local restaurants. Because what happens in disasters is, is, Restaurants are always the first one to pitch in. They're always going to do it for free and they're always going to be there. And we could just see what was happening between COVID and then the fires right after that, uh, that the economy was going to start to crash and we were going to see restaurants close. So we are like, how do we get money into these people's hands so that they can make a delicious meal to help people when they've lost everything and uh, essentially we figured out how to get funding. And then those three took it all the way the distance and essentially they're responsible for artificially inseminating or I'm sorry, artificially stimulating. <laughs> oh my gosh. You have to fix that part. Uh, no, leave that in. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Artificially stimulating the economy for sure. Yeah. Right. Uh, And so, and I know restaurants that were able to keep their doors open just because of Rogue Food Unites. So I'm really proud of what those, uh, those three did down there. And I also think um, I love being a participant. Sandwich in Ashland uh, participates one to two times a week. And uh, we do about 150 meals, 100, 150 meals. Uh, and it's awesome and I'm proud of it. And I think it's really powerful movement. Right. And you're absolutely right because so oftentimes it's the restaurants that are the first to volunteer to help feed people to, because so much of that is comfort. I mean, they're in the business of making people feel better. And sometimes when you lose everything, you know, you just, a good meal can just, it's like a hug, you know, and so people just really need this and people in the restaurant industry recognize this. And, and now with the restaurant industry hurting so much as I try to remind people and a lot of people, you know, are working really hard on this is, you know, where are, let's try to help these small restaurants because they've always helped these communities that they've been in throughout, you know, everything prior to the pandemic, everything, when there was anything, they were the ones, first ones to help. So let's help these restaurants. Let's go out and, you know, give them business and order from them, buy gift cards, you know, support them, you know, landlords, if they can, you know, have the ability to, you know, suspend rent, hold rent, decrease rent, like give them a break. We need to pay, like we need to get paid so that they can get paid. Like, and it's so awesome that, the amount of people who have shown up to help restaurants, but there's so much more work to be done. And I, I hate to say it, but it's, we, we, everybody needs to be getting paid in order for this machine to really work. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to next summer because I think that's where we're going to see some very thriving businesses that we didn't get to see for the last two years. Right. Right. 
Well, I know that for some restaurants, so for some chefs, I'm seeing them at home because, you know, their restaurants had to close or whatever. And, you know, they, so many kids didn't have school. And how was, how was that during that time? Did you, uh, did you do the homeschooling? Did you do the I mean, uh, I, school? <laughs> I, and see, and so, and my wife's a nurse, so she had to go. She had to work, right? Still. Yeah. So I tried. And I wasn't very, I'm, look, I'm a, I can teach baseball. I can teach you how to barbecue. I can teach you how to cook on the line. I wasn't cut out to teach my own kids how to go to school. Yeah. I don't say this around them. Uh, I don't say this around them uh, often because uh, Megan is such a scholar. I'm just like not a school person. I just, wasn't for me, but I understand why it's important and what's good about it. Uh, so I tried. It was difficult. Uh, my kids, uh, they did their homeschooling. Uh, we had help with the homeschooling. And then uh, they also went to the school of sandwich. So they learned how to make jardinere. They learned how to count money. They learned how to make orders. They learned how to go shopping at the grocery store. So in my opinion, they learned a lot of shit. Oh yeah. Well, this was good. It was life lessons, you know? And then I think it's important for kids to see what their parents do and see how hard it is and where they, you know, where they go and where they work. My, my kids often don't know what, what the heck I do. And they, people will ask them, what does your mom do? And they're like, Oh, she's, she does the Instagram. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Your mom works so hard. Of food and puts it on Instagram. That's what she does. I'm like, that's not what I do for a living. You know, but that's what they see me do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, or they say I do email mom does email. That's what she does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Mel's on her phone a lot. That's what she does. Yeah. She's on the phone a lot. Yeah. So um, I always, let's going back, going back to Texas, I always find stories from your childhood just so fascinating and so fun because it's so like, I I know, you know, everybody knows you from like different perspectives, right? They know you, the owner of Sandwich, and they see this big personality. They see, you, you know, Chicago Cubs, but, you know, what was that like living growing up in Texas? I mean, we talked about barbecue and stuff, but you, um, you played sports, you did all that, like. You had four brothers. I can't even imagine having four brothers. I had one brother, and that was enough. Yeah, it was um, pretty wild. Um, I We moved to Chicago, though, when I was young, but we spent a lot of vacations and a lot of summers at the ranch in Texas. So mm -hmm. I do feel like I was raised in both places. I did um, my sports. I played baseball uh, with the boys until high school. And that was in Chicago, and that was the, some of the best times of my life. It was so fun, uh, hard. Um, I always had to be prove myself to be better so mm -hmm. I could get my spot because I loved baseball, and I didn't want to play softball. And I was the catcher on the, the baseball team, and I was really good. And they let you play on the boys. They let you play on the boys team. It wasn't like a big deal. Oh, it was a big deal, but oh. <laughs> once you uh, saw me hit or play behind the dish, the, the coach who was ever the coach at that time, they wanted me on the team. So they would make yeah. sure I was on the team. Yeah. Uh, and my brothers, there's, I mean, we're all, there's four of us in high school at once. So we were all, um, oh yeah, you took over. You're like, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, there's four of us on one team at a time and um but it was fun it was loud it was aggressive it was competitive um, so let me tell you i don't mean to embarrass you but like i did hear the story that you were like in beauty pageants when you were younger and i just can't even imagine <laughs> so i can imagine you be playing the you know being catcher on a boys baseball team but Whose whose idea was that? <laughs> I was definitely uh, a beauty queen in Texas, and I right in Texas of all places, right? It was uh, just like the movies. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was. Uh, I did beauty pageants, and uh, and you were in a few movies, right? I was in a few movies. Uh, Can you tell us which ones? <laughs> I was in Home Alone one and two. <laughs> 
I was in Uncle Buck. I was in The Babe with Babe Ruth. That was my favorite. It was filmed in, I spent uh-huh. seven days in Wrigley Field. Um, what else? I did like uh, print jobs and uh, commercials and runway shows. Who Was that you that you wanted to do this or was somebody like pushing the... Uh, my mom like got us into it and, and uh-huh. I, I remember like having a good time and having fun doing it and I don't know meeting famous people and oh, that is pretty and, fun I've yeah, seen that movie going <laughs> to places and then like I don't know you like see yourself on TV and that's like kind of weird but cool uh-huh. and yeah I yep it's true Judy Ann the cat's out of the bag thanks <laughs> I know. I think, I think once you shared a photo of me, like when you were in your full beauty uh, pageant garb and it was just the most delightful, delightful moment I had, <laughs> I had, I, I think it came across text and I must've just laughed and but in a, in a fun way, like, this is just so good. This is so good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was like a pink poofy dress and then like a cowgirl outfit. Oh, I love it. Well, I, I love the fact that you should, you know, you so you so own it and you're, you know, proud of it, whatever. <laughs> it's yeah, no, it's so it's cool. I did it. It's it's part of me. Yeah, it's it's where you got to where you are now. And uh, so when you were um when you were a kid, like did you have a favorite meal like on your birthday and stuff like that? Did you request anything special or do you have any things that you remember? Flank steak, baked potato and salad. That was like one of my dad's like go to he yeah. uh he would marinate the steak in wishbone dressing in Worcestershire and so now that's what I make uh my kids mm-hmm. all the time and uh I do it you know chefy I I make the the marinade from scratch and barbecue it and my nieces were just in town with my brother and um they're like, oh man, you make this even better than dad. And <laughs> it was like, dude, Mel, you make this way better than dad did. And yeah, so that's my favorite. And then my dad used to make spaghetti and I loved it when I was a kid. So flank steak, baked potato, salad, or spaghetti, garlic, bread, and salad. Those were my like go-to total. I mean, and just think about it. That one of those is just a, such a Texan meal, and the other one is such a Chicago meal. Right, it's the combination of the two. Well, it sounds delicious. I always love it when people have like a go-to meal, but and and then they have it as a tradition where they have it like always on their birthday or you know whatever the occasion might be. Like, um, yeah, I I love that kind of thing because you'll remember that, and everybody who knows you will remember that too. Oh, totally, and it will be passed down. Like my kids, our nieces, our nephews, like mm-hmm. er, the McMillans will be making flank steaks for eternity. Right. Oh, speaking of your last name, it sounds very Irish. Is that is that your background? <laughs> oh, that's so funny that you say this. I just took a DNA test and uh, I'm 52% Irish. Oh, yeah, that's that's very Irish. That's a lot. I'm from Munster. Moonster, yeah, and then I I knew I was Eastern European, Polish, um, but yeah, McMillan, fifty two percent Irish. I thought that was real wild. Yeah, those are fun. I um, we did one a while ago, right when they first started doing the DNA tests, and it wasn't it wasn't so specific, like it didn't do family tree or anything. But it basically it was your um, they would trace your bloodlines back as far as they would go. And so, where do you think? How far do you think I went? Like, where do you think <laughs> I'm Korean, right? I'm only yeah. Korean. So how, far? Being, how far to Afghanistan? No way. Yeah. Who would have thought, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so wild. It is really wild. Because Korean people are one of the most homogeneous populations because they really, it's funny because they're surrounded by China and Japan and other countries, but yet the Koreans share almost the identical DNA as Mongolia. So Mongolians and Koreans, that's why if you actually look at, if you see photos of Mongolians, of course they're riding horses, wearing fur and falcons on their arms. But if you actually look at their face, they look Korean. 
and vice versa. So Koreans are very much the same because the people, the Mongolians uh, migrated and they filled the Korean peninsula. And then the peninsula be- being a peninsula stayed very homogeneous. And so that's pretty much like when you do your DNA, t- DNA test is not very interesting. It's basically you're Korean, possibly from Mongolia. And that's about it. There's no Chinese, no Japanese, none of that stuff. But on my mother's side, they were able to trace the bloodlines that before they populated Mongolia, they came from Afghanistan. So Afghanistan to Mongolia to Korea. So I had that at least on my mother's side of the family, my father's side, we didn't do because you only really did one side, but I'm sure it'll be all Korean 100% for like generations. But I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, totally interesting. And it's you can spend a lot of time looking into it too. <laughs> well, I guess it goes to show, you know, but I always find the that food and history and all that kind of background stuff is, you know, always, you know, cause so much of food is culture. I remember when we were doing that brisket class, um, we had a gal in the class and she was, she was, she had her brisket, but you know, she's only, she's her brisket was like the Jewish brisket. And you're like, same brisket, just prepare differently, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I think those those kind of food traditions are always really fun. And what are you making now? What was the last big meal you made at home? Fourth uh, of July, I smoked ribs for uh, the staff and my friends. And then um, I have I've been making flank steak a lot. <laughs> um, I love flank steak. You know, it's. I like to marinate it, marinate it in like Korean kaibi marinade because my kids don't really like the bones of traditional kaibi. Okay. And so I, I just th- take that marinade and I marinate it on a flank stick and then I slice it, you know, um, but it tastes, it tastes, yeah. oh, it's so good. Send me that recipe, dude. I will. You know, it's in Cook's Country this month, <laughs> this issue. Oh, really? Sick. <laughs> All right, yeah. And it's your recipe? Yeah, well, it's my sister's recipe. It's our family recipe, but she um, she's like the Korean cook in the family. So she every time I need anything really Korean, I default to her because I can I cook Korean food, but it's it's like Korean ish, you know, because I don't really I'm not hanging around a bunch of Korean people. So I don't know if the flavors or the method is truly authentic, whereas her husband is like very Korean and she's around more Korean people. So she has more of a fine tuned Korean palate. So everything, I mean, if I make it, it's it tastes good. It's Korean, but it's not like, I don't know. I have no sense of knowing like if that's, if I put a garnish on it, it's totally wrong or something like that. But yeah, it's her recipe. Originally I made the recipe on um, Food Network on a cooking on Grill It with Bobby Flay. And then, um, and the, of course they wanted it, you know, you understand TV. Like they wanted me to chop everything because chopping just looks way better on TV than like, pureeing it but the real thing is you just the it's better to put the solids the onions the um, whatever fruit that you're using and the garlic in a food processor or a blender and just blend it till it's like looks like applesauce and then you add all the soy and mirin and all the liquid ingredients okay this is an updated version and i kid you not it is better it is so the recipe before is like a like a five-star recipe on food network you can just google it and find it but this is actually better i will send you the recipe and you um, just marinate it with flank steak especially if you like flank steak it's so oh the kids will love it yeah you know what else i've been doing is uh i'm like addicted to ripe uh ripe cooperative and i've been getting those boxes and making them at home Oh yeah, Naomi Pomeroy's place. Yeah, yeah, it's that, that's fun too because then it's like a different style of food that I'm used to cooking, and I'm lucky I get to call the chef and ask her like, <laughs> right? Um, and then she messages me and asks me, "Did did you fuck it up or did you do it right?" You know, like because <laughs> I can test her recipes too for her. Uh, yeah, so that's been fun too, and like. I, I will say, Megan and I have eaten out a lot over the pandemic. Um, we understand the situation that everybody's in. So that's been pretty, pretty fun, uh, eating everybody's food and eating delicious food. Uh, and the kits that some of these places have made have been like pretty well thought out and put together and it's made it so cooking at home is a little bit more fun because sometimes I don't know what to cook. Right. It's the same thing. Like I, I like to cook too, but 
I don't like every day, like every day around three, four o'clock, I get the what's for dinner and everybody looks at me and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't mind doing it, but I just don't want the responsibility of thinking about it and the decision and like the deciding what we're going to have. Because no matter what, there's always going to be one protest, you know, there's always a no Mexican food and, you know. <laughs> I can really relate to the not wanting to make another decision at that time of the day. Uh, You're making decisions all day long about all sorts of things. You're like, does somebody else make the decision what we're going to have for dinner? I'm happy to cook it. Or tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do for one. I just want to take an order. You know, I don't want to decide everything. And so that's uh, the burden of deciding what's for dinner every day is the thing that I don't like doing. It's not that I don't m- like the cooking part. Also the grocery shopping. I do all the grocery shopping and I like to grocery shop, but I don't want to be responsible for the groceries. Like, you know, tell me Gregor doesn't go to the grocery store. Well, I don't, he occasionally does grow, but go, but when he goes, like he goes with his own agenda, you know, he goes, <laughs> he goes he's, he's going there. Cause he ran out of like milk for his cappuccino. Right. So he'll go there and go, and he won't even tell me that he's going, he'll go and he'll get his milk for his cappuccino, but he'll come back with a bunch of random items, none of which we really need. So like, we might be totally out of cat litter, you know, like something like important like that, but he won't know. Cause he's not, you know, but he'll come back with like the most expensive condiment of some crazy condiment and he'll have come back with some crazy expensive ice cream because <laughs> he doesn't look at the price he's just you know he's way into packaging so he'll come back with all sorts of pickled items and jars and all sorts of random stuff so i'm just like you know yeah he's not he's not allowed to grocery shop so <laughs> yeah, he can't grocery shop for the family. Speaking of, uh, he can grocery shop just fine, but I can't. Like, it's not the grocery shop that it's not the groceries that I depend on for the household. It's more like it's it's bo- it's bonus groceries that he wants to eat and enjoy. That's funny. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of cat litter, you have two cats with a funny names. What are they? Yeah. Well, I have on Bacon. What was the full name? Sir Francis Bacon. Okay. Francis Bacon was my pandemic kitty. You know, everyone got pets during the pandemic. And of course, I got three. Oh, you got Brie? Three. Oh, three. You have three? Pandemic animals. Yes. Oh, uh, you got three during the pan- during the pandemic? <laughs> yeah. Talk about it's getting expensive getting all these animals mixed. I know about your three. Well, who are they? What are their names? Well, hold on. I want to say, you got to tell oh, us. I got, I got Sir Francis Bacon. Yeah, he's got a, kid, a kitten. So I got him during the pandemic. But he goes along with Biscuit and Gravy. So we've had Biscuit and Gravy, <laughs> a dog and a cat for, you know, since the kids were babies. So uh, Sir Francis Bacon, I really was uh, petitioning hard for other names, but, um, you know, we had to do a family poll and all that stuff. And anyway, I lost because I wanted to call him Katsu, as in, you know, know, with a K, K K-A-T. Yeah, yeah, chicken Katsu. Yeah, but they weren't going for it. (laughs) That's cool. I think the best part of having a pet is naming it. We also have two rats. Fancy rats, not, no, like, no, like, garden variety rats. These are, like, gourmet fancy rats. Anyway, their names are um, Feta and Cheddar. So full, <laughs> full name, uh, Smokey Cheddar and Greta Feta. <laughs> Greta Feta, I like that. Feta yeah. and Cheddar. Feta and Cheddar. Yeah, they're great. They're, they're like, in, bat, rats get a bad rat, but these are the cutest little, it's like bat, ratatouille. I am so afraid of uh, rats. Like, Megan came and showed me an Instagram story of yours with the rats one time. And <laughs> you want to see me jump on a table faster than you, or scream? That is the one thing, like, and... You afraid of hamsters? Gerbils? No, I don't think so, but it's mice and rats. Oh. They're super cute. Yeah, I I get it. You know that tail and yeah, you know, well, you know oh, people. Oh, no, I just can't. I think it's like being a chef and right. Like, right. <laughs> oh, no, it's vermin. You know, like especially if you're like in the food business, like you're trying to get rid of all the vermin all the time. <laughs> but these guys, you know, once you get to know them, so much personality and really the most polite little pets. Like they, they see me. They're super excited. Like if not until you have seen a rat eat spaghetti. It's the most adorable thing, you know? <laughs> okay, well, send me a video of your rat eating spaghetti. 
Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. But let's let's hear about your three pets, your three pandemic pets. I didn't know about all three. So I've had Wrigley forever. He's the OG. He's old school. And then adorable. P- pandemic happened, and we got Brisket, the cat. Brisket. Yeah. Good day. And then um, we got Linguini, the cat. Oh. And then we got Pork Chop, the cat. Oh and my gosh. I guess I lied. We got four because uh, when my dad passed away, we got shortstop the dog. And she is the sweetest angel baby on the, well, now they all are like, I wasn't like a big cat person. And now I'm like obsessed with the cats, but Mm -hmm. shortstop is, uh, She's like her good mood helped me like mourn and get through the trauma and the sadness. And mm-hmm. uh, if I'm like sad or thinking about my dad, I just go over there and shorts up wiggles and gets all excited. And yeah, so um, pandemic animals was like such a thing. It's so interesting. Yeah, no, it's been fun to see people, you know, get new pets. And you know, I, I think that animals are great people think that we have a lot of pets and we're like well we don't i mean we've had like lots of things over the like we've had pets cycle in like we have a, we used to have a hamster named ham sandwich sandwich, sandwich. <laughs> you <laughs> um, take your pets camping with you yeah we do because you know i mean we have a camp we have a big camper like it's not like we're in a tent with all of them like we have a big camper so and they like but to the go cats go. the cats go in the they have a litter box in the bathtub we don't we, we have the camper has a bathtub and a shower but we don't we, we don't use the shower you know while we're camping so we just yeah. put the litter box in there and we just close the little curtain so you don't have to like see it or anything <laughs> they go awesome. in they're fine they're good um yeah they love it and for us it's like we don't have to do um we don't have to get a pet sitter or anything like that they're all happiest when they're together too so if we just take the dog, the dog will be constantly looking for the cats and the cats will be like, and he'll be like worried. But if we bring the cats, like the cat, and we if we just had the cats without the dog, the cats would be looking for gravy. And so it's just better if they all go because it's almost like a comfort thing. Like once they're all together, because they're a little, you know, family unit, they just relax and they keep each other company. So that's so cute. Yeah, they're, they're great pets. And I always encourage people that, you know, especially when you have kids, because I think pets really teach empathy and responsibility. And, you know, think about somebody else's feelings, not just your own, you know, because I always say, you know, your animals have feelings, you know, like touch the pets kindly and speak to them kindly, because, you know, they're all emotion. You know? Yeah, that's such a good way to talk about it. I really like that. Well, I'll tell you, um, I love your Instagram, especially with the kids and the pets. It, it's really sometimes is sometimes is quite entertaining. <laughs> well, I always enjoy following you on your Instagram too. So, but um, yeah, I mean, I'll, we kind of have to wrap up. But I do want to know kind of when I'm going to see you next. <laughs> so, I, uh, I hope I see you before feast for one. Uh, I was just thinking about Feast. Remember that little bite that you made at Feast? Was when we're talking about chefy things, right? And uh, people think, you know, your talent beyond sandwiches. You made this one bite. Was that a smoked? And it was this little cube of... It was, it was smoked brisket, and it was shit. Even Karen Brooks said it was the best bite of the entire week. It was the best. It was so good. It was... You remember what was on it? What? Do you remember what was on it? It was like on some uh, smoked brisket that we uh, when we picked when we picked it up for service, we seared it in uh, a finex pan on an open flame, and mm-hmm. then uh, there was coleslaw on top, and I want to say it was there barbecue sauce. Yeah, it was your brother. You have the best picture from that. Yeah. Well, it was so good. I remember, but it was like, you could have served that in any like fine dining restaurant. It was like so tasty, <laughs> but I was just thinking about that the other day, like speaking of feast, you know, cause uh, some of the feast events are coming back this summer. And I did think about that. I thought, well, you know, people just think of you as a, a sandwich chef. They're like, they obviously have not seen you uh, cook. I mean, 
it was you took your skills, but like the presentation even was pretty it was so sexy. <laughs> yeah, we was talking about that, right? Making sure that the food looks nice because you know you see with your eyes, you eat with your eyes first. So yeah, and that's uh, you know, if you look at sandwiches on Instagram, it's they're beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they're mouthwatering, you know, and that appeal of, I always love kind of a photo that's a little bit like imperfect. You know, that's the nice thing about a sandwich because it's not supposed to be, it doesn't have to be like perfect. You almost need to see that drip or that kind of the messy, you know, coming off that really pops off the page. That's, that's the, that's the stuff that makes people call in their order. They're like, okay, this is what I need today. So. Yeah, that's how I got Kathy today. Right. Well, keep it up. Thank you so much for joining episode 12. Food people are the best people with Melissa McMillan. Be sure to go, you know, visit her, her, her sandwich shop. She's got, she's got Sandwich Portland, Sandwich Ashland, Pastrami Zombie food cart. Request that food cart at your business too, because she'll come to you, which I think is awesome. Um, and then look for her, follow her on Instagram for sure. Judy Ann, thanks so much for having me on. That was really fun. Thank you.